Succession planning can be a daunting process, but as a new generation continues returning to America's farms, it's proving more and more important all the time. What can farms do to start tackling change themselves? That's today on Field Posts. and Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Transitioning a farm from one generation to the next is a many-stepped process, some of which are legal or financial, but many more of which are personal, interpersonal, even emotional. And this can make this work really, really hard. Today, DTN special correspondent Elizabeth Williams joins us to talk about her series on the process of succession planning. She'll share wisdom she's learned in her reporting, discuss the advice she's heard from expert advisors and farmers who have been through the process themselves, and point listeners to valuable resources as they wade into their own planning journey. We'll discuss communication and fairness between on-farm and off-farm heirs, how to compensate recent returnees to the farm, and how to invest in the skills and abilities needed in the farm's future leadership, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN special correspondent Elizabeth Williams joins us today to talk about her ongoing series on succession planning, a process actively playing out within countless farm businesses across the country. Elizabeth, what made you want to talk about succession planning now? Well, first of all, the magazine hasn't covered this issue for a couple of years. And the second reason is Farmers who survived the early and mid-1980s in agriculture are now at or nearing retirement age. And when you get that age, you start thinking about what legacy you want to leave. And so we think it's a good time to hit this subject because we think a lot of our readers are bringing in the next generation and thinking about maybe I need to step back a little bit. I think that's right, based on conversations I've had with farmers as well. But you're working on this series about succession planning. I think a key difference that maybe a lot of folks don't understand is what is the difference between succession planning and maybe like estate planning or some of these other words that get thrown around in a similar vein? Right. There, it's, in, it's an important distinction because most people think, oh, I need to plan to avoid taxes. I don't want my farm, having to pay any more government taxes than absolutely necessary. I need to get an estate plan, etc. There are ways to 
form entities in your estate to make it easier to pass on to the next generation. And working with a estate planning attorney who is specialized in that really helps do those kind of technical questions and strategies. But it's much harder to do the business transition. Avoiding taxes is cut and dried, but working with family and passing on management, that takes a lot more planning, a lot more thought, and maybe more people on your board of directors, so to speak, or your advisory group to work through a lot of issues. And so we feel in this series, you can get estate planning advice online and at extension conferences and through bank workshops, et cetera. But the one that's hardest to do is working through how to transition to the next generation with your farm operation. So it's an important distinction and you need to do both. But the one that takes the more thought process is the succession planning where you want to transition the farm to the next generation. And thinking about the estate planning side of it, finding an accountant or finding a lawyer who's going to help guide you through that process seems like the natural first step. What is the kind of first step on the succession planning side? So the first step is recognizing that you need a plan. And then you gather information about possible options. But the problem is you can get stuck in that phase for years. You know, the Taking the first step is not the problem the step to actually take action and write things down and implement the plan, that's what takes a lot more effort. So people who get into their 60s have started thinking about this and they're reading articles like this. And uh, But the hardest part is to say, okay, we've really got to write things down, communicate what I've been thinking about and make this work. And talk a little bit about, as part of that starting process, what kind of resources should people be looking at? Are there advisors for this? Or I don't know, what kind of advisory roles might help them start to move towards some of those first action steps? So there's information out there. The fourth story in our series is going to be about getting an advisor with just the farm business end of it, including or in addition to your state tax attorney and accountant. But even before you go to an advisor, which I highly recommend, you need to start asking yourself questions like, who will take over the farm for me? How do I protect my farm business as a profitable business, yet also provide for my children who aren't involved in the farm? What I need to recognize, and this is an important part that I talk about in this article, fair is not equal. So you can start to divide your assets in your head, how you can, again, provide for all your children, but still keep your farm a profitable business. Yeah, such an interesting phrase. Talk a little bit more about that idea of fair is not equal. What do you mean by that? Let's say I've got three children and only one of them wants to return to the farm and you love your children equally. It's not like you're going to pick winners and losers, but you've worked 
or I've worked all my life to build up my farm business. And how do I divide my estate? If I do it equally, then that really puts the on-farm heir at a disadvantage because the two off-farm siblings continue to own the land and rent it back to the farm sibling at a reduced cost so they can keep making a profit? Or how do I justify giving the bulk of my estate, which is it's tied up in all the farm business assets to just one of my children? So, you know, you have to rethink what is fair. And as as my for myself, I'm the dreaded off-farm heir. I have two brothers who took over the family farm from my mom and dad. And if you think about it, who shoveled the walk and the driveway for my parents when it needed it? Who drove my mom and dad to their doctor's appointments and mowed their lawn? And who allowed them to live in their home and have an improved quality of life, fixing what's needed, taking care of things that come up, fixing their cell phone when it's you know, they press too many buttons and it doesn't work anymore. And they get called at different times of the day and their weekends. They really spend a lot of time and effort taking care of our parents. And that's worth a lot of money to me. If I had to hire all that done, I couldn't afford it. And should my brothers be compensated more than me? I think so. I'm pretty darn sure because they've put up with a lot and they're taking the risk. So anyway, I think far- farmers need to maybe communicate that to the off-farm air so they can see why they may not be getting as many assets. Because again, all most of the assets are tied up in, in the farm and it's not just easy to cut that off and give it to the off-farm siblings. So I don't necessarily think the off-farm family members should be treated equally, but they still can be treated fairly by getting something. And it's we're part of the family, but we're not necessarily part of the business. I think that's a great distinction to make. But then there's those folks who are in a middle space, an intermediate space, those siblings or children who maybe want to come back to the farm and and people who are currently in charge of the business are trying to figure out ways to get them to come back or to the business to be able to support them if they come back. Talk a little bit about those considerations and how farmers should be thinking about that. So I think every farmer would love to have all of his children come back to the farm. And that's why they built up this legacy. That's why they built up their business. They would love to see all their grandchildren surrounding them. They would love to have all of their children in their same hometown. So how, if you have your children who all want to come back, how do you make that happen? And it's a tough question because can your farm support additional families? And would you have to take a pay cut? And are you willing to have a less return in order to make that happen? And a lot of farmers will go out and increase their debt load to buy some more acres, buy some more equipment, buy some more cows, whatever enterprise that they want their children to have ownership in and feel like they're adding more to the business. I would say having covered 
egg businesses since the 1980s. The mistake that we made in the 1970s is farmers went out and said, oh, my son's coming back to farm. I'm going to buy another farm for him. And we're just going to expand and go to town. Well, we had way too much debt on our agricultural assets and inflation stopped, interest rates skyrocketed, and the debt load just killed a lot of farm family businesses. So we're not really at that point yet because we have a lot of equity in our in our farms right now, much more than we had in the 70s. And that's a saving grace, but I can still see the point where we're heading into inflation, land's not getting cheaper. You just want to make sure you don't overextend to help bring the next generation in. I Most lenders I've talked with said that's not happening, so it's a good thing right now. And farming has been profitable in the last couple of years, so that has helped with the next generation getting some fair compensation without a lot of sacrifice. So the question is, will that continue? And what sacrifices are people willing to make? But it's, it is a tough question on how much can you afford to bring back the next generation? And I think that's a good segue into talking a little bit about your second article. As farmers, as folks who are currently operating their businesses, think about bringing back that next generation. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how different people are thinking about it, are thinking about compensation and attracting that that next generation back to the farm and then investing in them. So one of the things that I found surprising on this, the story that will be in the second part of the series, there are a lot of non-cash benefits that you receive when you work on a family farm, such as housing and vehicles and even your phone plan and health insurance. And when you add up all of those, it could easily be worth thirty dollars to $35,000. So a lot of kids, when they come back and work on the farm and say, oh, no, I'm only making thirty dollars or $40,000, and I could get a job at Pioneer or John Deere for fifty dollars to $60,000, and they feel like it's a big sacrifice, and they may not resent it, but they still think that they're not getting paid maybe what their counterparts are getting paid in the private industry. And when you add up and look at all the other non-cash benefits, maybe it's not so bad. And maybe when you add all that in, I am getting paid as much as someone who works in the industry. The other thing that farmers, again, are asset rich and cash poor, a lot of them will form an entity and start giving away ownership shares as a gifting mechanism to help the child feel like they have ownership. And there are just many, many ways of doing this. And that's when your accountant comes into play and says, here's how you can make your situation work best. But that's another way of compensating them for all of their time and labor because they're putting in the late nights, they're putting in the weekends. And if you can't pay them cash, how else can you reward them? And ownership in the business is a great way to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And maybe helps solve or assuage some of those on-farm, off-farm air issues if ownership is built directly into the compensation. Exactly. Um, yeah, I want to ask about the other side of that too, because I think, again, talking to young farmers fairly regularly, I think one of the biggest things that I hear that especially young people who are just coming back to the farm are hungry for, but don't always necessarily feel like they have, is decision-making power. Uh, and the ability to, to grow in the role and to be a meaningful part of what drives the business forward. Talk a little bit about how farmers that you spoke with are using that as a tool to make new younger partners who maybe aren't compensated in cash the most feel like they're part of the business. That's a very interesting question because farmers who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s have been making decisions for a long time and have grown their business. And one of the hardest things to do is to give up decision-making. And especially when they've had so many years of experience that they've kind of made enough mistakes that they know how to minimize mistakes. So then you get this young guy or gal coming out of college with lots of fresh ideas and wanting to save the world and thinks the farm is a great ticket to do that. And from the farmers I've talked with, they've realized they need to give up some decision-making capability. They need to train their children to be managers, not just laborers. So at first they may say, how about for two years, you are a laborer, or how about you have this quarter section or 160 acres that you make all the decisions on, or you have this small cow herd that you make all the decisions on. And so then you can do it in small chunks that won't um, have huge ramifications for the entire farm. Others have said, let's do some test plots to see if an idea that you have on growing a crop would be better on our farm than the way we've done it in the past. So I think the Best way to do that is in little pieces. And the other way to do that is for the older generation to recognize they have to give up some decision making. Dick Whitman, who I pulled in, in the second series, has been advising farmers since 1980. And before that was an agricultural banker. And he said, it's funny now because he's in he's advising the next generation, which is the third generation of the family he's been working with. So he had grandpa and then he had dad and the dad was coming back and wanting to do things and change things up and get to be a manager and grandpa was holding on too hard. And, and so Dick advised the family. And now he said, I'm getting young guys, the grand sons and daughters coming in and they're complaining about their dad or moms not giving up their decision making he tells the middle generation you have selective memory you don't remember how it was when you came back and so he has to remind them that for a manager to learn 
they have to make their own mistakes. And so you want to make it so they're small mistakes, but still you can't just say, oh, that's that corn head broke here. Let me go in and fix it. And okay, I've got it done. Now you're back in the field. Go boom. You've got to maybe say, what do you think? Where, what looks like it's broken? Where do you think the possible, what should we do about it? Let them run through that thought process. And, and that's what it's going to take. Yeah, that's such a good story that I'm sure lots of folks will find familiar. I think the last part of that is, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of the training aspect, which I think for maybe some of the older guys who are having a harder time finding that trust, finding that confidence in the newer generation, maybe a part of a solution to that is investing in some training and especially like management training, agronomy training, maybe financial training. Talk a little bit about some of the options that you came across in your reporting. I think the younger generation has a thirst for knowledge and whether it's how to operate a drone or whether it's new agronomic ways of saving the soil and water. And so it's hard to know everything. And I think they, they recognize that they don't know everything. Maybe some are even <laughs> recognize that more than others, but for, if your mom and dad are willing to help you to go to training sessions and spend the time and the money. And then the other thing the mom and dad have to do as in the previous question is listen to you and let you use your knowledge, maybe again in small steps, but you don't want to think, oh, my mom and dad are shipping me off. I'm learning all these things. I get back and it's nothing changes. There just are so many opportunities to for learning. And whether it's regional or local information, I talked with one advisor and he said, the older generation, they learned locally. Like they had the extension service, they had the local bank, they had put on seminars, they had a lot of local information workshops and the younger generation, they have more opportunities to learn like nationally. They now say, hmm, what are they doing in Washington state that I might do in Iowa? Or what are they doing in Kentucky that might work on my farm in Southern Iowa or Western Nebraska? Or so the older generation has to recognize that there's a different level of educational opportunities for mid-level managers. In the article about compensation, I mentioned the executive program for agricultural producers, TPAP, which is, I call it a master's degree program, but it's one week in January, one year. And then the second part is the next, uh, another week in January, the following year. And people come from all over the U.S. and it's very concentrated on financial management of your farm and human resource management and sales. And it just gets you to think like a CEO of a farm business. And for some, it's the first time they've ever looked at it like that. And it really 
get you into a different mindset about how to uh, run your operation. I think I just have one last question, which is to, you mentioned an upcoming part of the series on advisor, how to think about getting an advisor for this process. I think there's a couple of other articles after that. Give us a little bit of a preview of what folks might be able to expect as the series continues. So our thought process going into this series was what do farmers want to do? And their main goal is to keep their legacy going. So our first article is identifying the on-farm heir, the person who wants to come back to farm, how to make that so you keep the family unity and make sure that you've identified there is a person who wants to come back to farm because if it's just one-sided it may not happen the way you'd like to so then the second story in the series is more on okay this person wants to come back but they only want to come back if they feel valued so how do you value that person with compensation with authority and decision-making with training. Well, now you've gotten someone to come back and they feel valued. What about everyone else? And is the value being communicated? So the third story in the series will be, can we talk? And farm families generally, this is a very broad stereotype, are not good at talking about feelings. They're much better about explaining how a cultivator works or how the seed nutrition is better with the micronutrients or how to, how to decide what breeds you want for your cow herd, et cetera, et cetera. Talking about sensitive, touchy-feely issues is not where most people want to go. So the third part of the series is if you really want a successful transition, you've really got to tell people what's going on in your mind. Everyone thinks, oh, if they love me, they can read my mind. But that's not true. So we're going to try to open up that and help them start those difficult conversations and thought processes. And then the fourth story in the series is, do we need an advisor? And one advisor said he had a farmer come into his office and he couldn't, well, look him in the eye. The farmer just, he almost had tears in his eyes. And he said, I can't believe it's come to this. And the advisor said, what's that? He said, I have, have to come and ask somebody how to do what I should know how to do. And the advisor said, no way. This is not something that's easily taught. This is not something that people have been trained on. And oftentimes it takes a third party to get the family communicating without all the the baggage and the button pushing conversations that people tend to do. And so it's really nice to have that third party keep the calm, keep things on task, and help the families work through a lot of difficult issues. And then the last story in the series is pitfalls to avoid. Because... The hardest thing for farmers to do is 
get the plan going. And so what usually it takes, unfortunately, are horror stories about other farm families who've just exploded because they didn't do the right planning. And then when you see that happen, you're like, oh, I better do something now because I don't want that to happen to my family. So it's more of a, okay, here's a reason to get off the dime. And we hope that will be enough to get people planning and implementing and making their business so that the next generation can smoothly transition into management and ownership. You can read Elizabeth's full series on farm succession planning and keep up with all her reporting at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Elizabeth Williams. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.